ushers are going to come around, and they're going to pass out to you a stick, all right? You already paid your offering, so now we're going to give you something in return. Uh, we're going to give you a stick, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting because we were talking about this in staff meeting with um, Chris Willard, Lisa Putra, myself, and Pastor Brad, right? Well, if you know uh, Lisa, Chris Willard, and myself, we have all boys, all boys in our, in our family. Uh, Brad has all girls in his family. So we get to this, and, and Brad goes, sticks or stones? Maybe we could give him rocks. And we all in one voice said, no. <laughs> and Brad's like, well, the girl, you know, they could make a necklace of it. And I, I just kind of looked at him and said, oh, Brad. Uh, <laughs> from necklaces to projectiles. I mean, yeah, it, a very, very different uh, uh, piece here. So anyway, just come on forward and go ahead and just kind of pass those around. We're going to pass those baskets just around. Feel free to uh, pass them off to those that are sitting around you as well. And, uh, and just grab a stick as I go through this. This morning's... Uh, sermon title is entitled Sticks and Stones, all right? And another thing that Brad forgot to mention last week, but I think it's really important, this series that we're involved in, Real Relationships, this is a no-nudge series. What do I mean by that? This is very, very practical stuff that we're working through through the book of Ephesians. You should not nudge the person sitting next to you. You should not be nudging them going, oh, He's talking about you. All right? Instead, just pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, bring the conviction upon this person sitting next to me that I know they need, right? So don't nudge them. Just let the Holy Spirit do his job in uh, who's ever sitting next to you's life. But Ephesians is a book that starts out. The first three chapters of Ephesians has this deep theology. It's painting this picture for the church in Ephesus and likewise for us about the incredible work of God in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are redeemed into righteousness, purchased into a right relationship with God. And it is this right relationship that is at the center of the book and must be at the center of our interpretation of the book of Ephesians. Chapter two, verse eight says this, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not by yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is about God's grace being poured into our lives. The actions of Jesus Christ, this grace becomes the tie that binds us in right relationship with God. And as a result, and this is where Ephesians becomes very, very practical, as a result of being in right relationship with God, we now can be in right relationship with one another as well. Spouses, friends, coworkers, siblings, how we communicate and interact with those close to us becomes a reflection of the relationship we have with God because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. As we lean into this, I invite you to take stock of the quality of relationships that you have. As I mentioned before, the series title is Real Relationships. And I think that a key qualifying marker when discerning a real relationship can be quickly assessed in one question, or I guess two questions. Is this relationship rooted in love, or is this relationship rooted in tolerance? You see, our culture right now has a great value on tolerance. 
it is the most important cultural norm. The most important cultural value is tolerance. But love and tolerance are not the same thing. All right? Throughout scriptures, over and over and over again, we are confronted with God's incredible love for us, not his tolerance of us. And so it is out of that love relationship then that we pour into the very relationships that we have around us. Do I love this person or am I merely tolerating this person? Last week, Pastor Brad unpacked Ephesians 4.25, speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And when we speak truth, we are to be speaking and telling and, and bringing the very person of Jesus Christ into people's lives. Where do we get that? From John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus embodies truth. The word logos is the Greek in here. The, the logos, the very spoken word that God spoke, that breathed into creation, that formed all that we know from nothing. That word, that spoken word, put on flesh and dwelled among us, full, overflowing with truth and grace. Karatos. Karas. Truth and grace. When we speak, we not only speak truth, but we also speak grace. This is to say that as we speak, how we speak, the words that we use should paint a picture of the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to talk specifically and look into Ephesians 4.29, taking a hard look at the words that we use when we communicate with one another. Because in a very practical sense, our words matter. What we say, in fact, is so significant that Charles Spurgeon, he assessed the sinful condition of man and he suggested this. If a man's sins were divided into two bundles, half of them would be sins of the tongue. Half of the things that we do in life that cause us separation from God would be the things that we say. That's how powerful our words are. So let's look at this passage of Scripture and pick it apart this morning. And I'm, I'm going to get a little Bible geeky on you, sorry, uh, but the words matter. The Greek here matters. As the writer of Ephesians is using these words intentionally, he is drawing us back into this grand narrative that we are a part of because of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm reading out of the NIV. Brad's been teaching out of the NLT. The only reason I'm using NIV uh, is because of the last sentence here, and I'll speak to that, and you'll see when you get But both are fantastic translations. This one's translated just a little differently. Don't let any unwholesome, the Greek there is sapros, don't let any unwholesome talk, the Greek there is logos. Don't let any unwholesome words, logos, Jesus being logos that God spoke into this world, full of grace and truth. What Paul is saying here is don't let your logos be sapros. Don't let your words be unwholesome. Sapros really means spoiled, rotten, tainted. 
Don't let your logos, don't let your words be spoiled, rotten, or tainted as they come out of your mouth. We know this deep in our hearts. We know this, right? We know the saying, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. What a lie. We are walking around, so many of us, wounded by the very words that have been spoken at us, to us, that have taken root in our lives, that hurt us all the way to our core. In James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, James starts off talking about how horses can be controlled by just putting a small bit in the horse's mouth. You uh, You can direct that animal to go in the direction you want it to go. Or a ship out at sea, the, the, the pilot can control the direction that ship goes by the very small rudder that is a part of that boat. And he goes on to say, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Those are some pretty strong words, huh? My tongue, a world of evil amongst all the other parts of my body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. A seemingly insignificant part of our body is responsible for a significant portion of relational brokenness. The first time I got beat up was in sixth grade. Um, First service found that really funny. Uh, so thank you for not laughing. Um, but first time I got beat up was in sixth grade by an eighth grader named Robbie. I got off the bus. Robbie was right behind me. And uh, I was going off to go, heading off to go home. And Robbie, gra- Robbie grabbed me by the back of my coat and just held me there until the bus went around the corner. And he proceeded to just beat me something fierce. Glasses broken, bloody, bruised, dirty. I go home sobbing and crying. My mom, of course, what happened to you? And I tell the story, and she's spitting mad. She calls my dad. My dad comes home that evening, and uh, we talk a little bit, and dad says, well, are you okay going to school tomorrow? I said, well, school is fine. I'm just really scared getting off the bus. Dad says, I'll meet you at the bus stop tomorrow. Don't worry. So the bus comes, and I see my dad waiting at the bus stop there, and uh, I wait until Robbie gets off first, and he goes down the stairs, walks past my dad, and then I get off, and Robbie's walking, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 feet in front of us, and then all of a sudden my dad says, Robbie, I want to talk to you. I'm thinking, oh no, dad's going to get beat up too, you know, <laughs> this is not going to be good, mom's going to be a wreck, but uh, he, he says, uh, Robbie, I need to talk to you, and Robbie stops, and he knows what's going on. And he turns around, and my dad comes up to him, and he's, he's kind of got his hand on my shoulder, and, and uh, he looks at Robbie. He goes, you know, Robbie, I don't know what went on yesterday, but I want you to know that it's not okay for you to beat up my son. It's not. That's the first thing you need to know. And then he asks, why would you do that? And Robbie starts to tear up in his eyes. And Robbie starts to, to share all of these things that I had said to my friends who I was sitting next to in the seat about him. See, we'd been talking all kinds of trash about Robbie. Robbie's mom had walked out on him and his dad at a very young age. Robbie's life was hard. I didn't know any of this stuff. All I knew is that uh, Robbie uh, and his dad um, were different. 
Robbie kind of smelled. I made fun of him for that. I made fun of the fact that he didn't have a mom in his life to wash his clothes. You know, stupid things. But they wounded him to the core. And as he is sharing some of these things that I had said about him to my friend sitting next to me in the seat, I'm watching tears well up in his eyes and drain down his cheeks. And something hit me that day that was not the lesson my dad wanted me to learn. But I walked away from that realizing that my words hurt him as much as his fists and feet hurt me. And I recognize that my words can be used as a powerful weapon. And being, you know, five foot seven, I wasn't, you know, the behemoth of a man that uh, you see standing before you now, uh, shorter even then in sixth grade. And I figured out I can hold my own by the words that I say. I can use these words like sticks and stones fashioned into spears and clubs and, and, and hatchets against these people. That's the lesson that I learned. I know it wasn't the lesson that my dad wanted me to learn. Do not let any unwholesome talk. What is that? Other translations talk about dirty language, corrupt speech, foul and abusive speech, evil talk. It's gossip, it's slander, it's profanity. I'm not suggesting from this that we should shy away from having hard conversations with people. That's not the same thing. But in that, the words that we use are important. We've heard from a young age, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So what does that mean? I think it means we don't say any hurtful things to people's face. We wait until they leave, right? We wait until they're out of the room and then we get the people around us and say, can you believe that? And we start in with those hurtful words when that person's clearly out of earshot and we don't have to worry about hurting their feelings. Instead, we begin to corrupt, we begin to spoil, we begin to make rotten the whole sphere of friendships and life that these people walk into. That, friends, is just as foul as saying hurtful words right to somebody's face. Let no unwholesome talk, rotten talk, spoiling talk, speak none of those words, period. Don't do it. These sticks and stones that come out of our mouths can be used as weapons. Now, we try to justify this I understand that. We use things like, well, they know I'm a sarcastic person. They know I didn't mean anything by it. They know it's just the way I am, or this is my favorite. They need to lighten up and stop being so sensitive as if my hurtful words spoken to them are somehow their fault. It is said that St. Augustine had engraved these words on his table. There is no place at this table for anyone who loves scandal. One more thing I want to say about hurtful words. I believe that wounded people wound people. And often, it is the people who are forced to endure the harshest verbal abuse that quickly spout off that hurt onto others. And if, it's, if that's you here this morning, I want you to listen to this words of grace that God is speaking to you. 
If you have allowed yourself to, to be identified, to be, to be um, understood by the hurtful words of other people, that is not how our Lord God sees you. So listen, and listen for that, that, that God wants to speak, which is truth, into your life. Further, any relationships that we have that are really just based on tolerance, I think you could probably end it right here with this passage of Scripture. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But if you desire, if you desire that you be speaking the truth in love to press into real relationship, then the rest of this verse becomes really crucial. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. While it's true that our words can bruise and break and damage like sticks and stones thrown about as weapons and projectiles, sticks and stones are also key ingredients to construction. Can't build a house without sticks and stones. And that is exactly how this word is, is translated. In Greek, that building others up, it's, it's literally translated building a home. To build homes, to build dwellings. Edification. Throughout the epistles, the Apostle Paul stresses the essential work of conversation that is constructive rather than destructive. In Colossians, he says this, let your conversation be always full of grace. There's that word again, charon, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. Our words should add flavor and preserve, not make rotten. And the last bit of this middle section of this verse, according to their need, according to their needs. Here, uh, the, the Greek, kreias, which literally means the thing that is lacking and therefore needed. You know, we, we use the, the term need. We throw it around all the time. I need pizza. Uh, I need coffee. Maybe some of us do need, need coffee. Um, but we, we throw this around, but at the heart of this word is this understanding that it is the very thing that is in this person's life that is completely lacking. It is missing. It is void. It is non-existent. And as Christ followers, we are supposed to hear that and speak that into their life. So how do we tell what people need? We have to listen. We must listen. And we must listen intently with the ears of the Holy Spirit because I am convinced more than ever that what our neighbors need, what our, our communities need, what our nation and what our world needs is truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. And I understand. I grew up here. I know that the two things that we are never to talk about in public are politics and religion. I get that. And I say amen to both of them because what that does is when I'm not talking about those things, I've got all this space to talk about this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. It's not a religion. It's a relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. Full of grace, full of truth, who met me in my brokenness and was willing to fill me up with that which he created me for. 
and not to be defined by my wickedness. This is good news. This is what I believe our world needs. It is the very thing that is lacking and therefore most needed. And we cannot, as Christ followers, be ashamed to speak that into people's lives. The last thing about the church of Ephesus in Revelation, if you read about it, John, speaking for Jesus, who has these visions about the churches, and and it gets to Ephesus, and he says, you know, you're doing a lot of good things. You're doing good ministry. Your doctrine is sound. You're believing and, and confessing and professing the right things. But one thing I hold against you, you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten about Jesus. In the midst of your trying to be and do church, you've forgotten about Jesus. And as a result you will not stand. Church, this is so important. We cannot forget to tell this broken and hurting world about Jesus. Moving on. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it will benefit those who listen. The NRSV says this, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. There's that word again, karatos. Your words will give grace. This last part of the verse speaks not only of the outcome of the words we speak, but also of our intentions. What are my intentions? I confess that my motivation often is not graciousness, Too often I argue motivated to persuade when I should be conversing, motivated to understand. Do my words give grace? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And before we can begin to communicate this out, before we can use words that build each other's up, I think it's important for us to ask this question. What am I full of? Some of you are thinking, yeah, this guy is full of something. Uh, What am I full of? Am I full of self-righteousness? Am I full of anger? Am I full of bitterness? Am I full of rage? What is it that I am full of? Because the one who came from heaven to earth was full of grace and truth. And he died so that you and I can be full of grace and truth. This is what is to lead us and out of our mouths should come words that encourage those who are near us. Fill them full of grace. The creator God put on flesh in order to live among us full of grace and truth. He came full in order to pour into us, to pour into you, to pour into me that we may be full of grace and able to point to the truth. Friends, our words matter. How we speak to one another matters. It is our witness to a fallen, broken world. We don't speak our own words. We speak the words of Christ by his Holy Spirit that he puts in our mouths. And this passage of Scripture says that even though our mouths are capable of cursing, and speaking incredibly hurtful things, our mouths are intended to build up 
those around us. The words we use to build up and not tear down. That our words may be full of grace. In a minute, we're coming to this table. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. As we do this, we are reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. That he loved us so much that the reason he came here to earth full of grace and truth was that we might be made right with him. And I don't think it uh, coincidental that as we take this meal and we are reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made for us, I don't think that, it, that, that it, it's just a passing thought that we should recognize, good job ushers, you got, or servers, you guys are doing what you need to do. That's why they're going, don't panic. Uh, looking at your clocks, what am I missing? Uh, I think the Vikings even have a bye week, so no rush, all right? That being said, isn't it amazing that one of the first things that the bread and the juice touches is our tongue. This very thing that can be of such wickedness in our lives, that can spout out such hurtful things. This is the first thing that Jesus touches to say, I am redeeming this. I am reclaiming this because you are intended for greater. Friends, that's what this meal is about And as you come forward this morning, I encourage you to carry the stick that you took with you. And as you are approaching this table, I want you to be thinking, how have the words I've spoken built people up? Or have the words that I've been speaking been tearing people down? My children, my spouse, my coworkers, my roommates, my siblings, the words that I say, are they building up or are they tearing down? And as you take communion this morning, I want you to hear words of forgiveness, which we're going to be talking about next week. But know that you are forgiven. And as you go and sit back down, I want you to be taking that stick with you and I want you to be thinking, how can the words I use be used by God to build others up and not tear them down? As Susie was singing, I was reminded and envisioned this this incredibly painful, hard scene in the life of Jesus as he being nailed to the cross was lifted up in front of everybody on that horrible hill. And after the beating and after that painful walk through the cities of, through the streets of Jerusalem, after the piercing nails through his hands and his feet, through the, through the spear that was being thrust into his side, there were still those who at the base of that cross felt compelled out of their spite, out of their rage, out of their anger to spew the most hurtful, venomous words they could think of to say to Jesus. In response to that, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Friends, that gives me hope. That gives me hope that the very words, when they slip out of my mouth, that I know bring destruction, that God is saying, I forgive you because I made you for better than this. Allow my son to remake you. 
Allow my Holy Spirit to dwell within you that your words would build up and not destroy. Friends, that is good news. That is the God that we serve. That is the God who does not turn his back on us. That is the God who has chosen us. And that is the gospel. That is good news. And as we leave this morning, we leave uh, proclaiming this God is good, that he is holy, that he is worthy, that he is willing to meet us in our brokenness and in our despair and to fill us full of grace and truth.